We'll read now from Acts chapter 1, the first five verses. The former treatise, Have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day that he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. I mentioned that today is Pentecost Sunday. If we didn't know anything about the New Testament or church history for the last 2,000 years, we would still know about Pentecost from the writings of Moses. We see in the Old Testament that the males of Israel were told by Moses, actually by God, through uh, Moses, to c come to the place God said that I will choose to put my name there for three annual feasts. And those three annual feasts are the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Trumpets. Leviticus 23 uh, speaks of them. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations or gatherings, uh, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. In 23.5, on the 14th day of the first month, at even is the Lord's Passover. And that's why this Feast of Unleavened Bread is the one that is most familiar to us, because it is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread unto the Lord. And that uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, celebrated the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egyptian bondage. Uh, remembering that they applied the blood of that innocent lamb, lamb to their uh, doorposts and were thereby protected from the death that visited every family otherwise. That night, they went out as a mighty army, having cleansed their homes beforehand of leaven. And so it's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it foreshadowed Jesus' crucifixion. During that uh, same period of time, they were to offer the first fruits of the harvest. The day after the Passover Sabbath, Leviticus speaks of that as well. And that uh, speaks or uh, is um, corresponds to Jesus' resurrection. Leviticus 23.10, When you come into the land which I shall give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, ye shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest unto the priest, and, ye shall, and he shall wave it, rather a sheaf before the Lord, to be accepted for you on the morrow after the Sabbath. So that would be, again, uh, the, the Sunday, which uh, commemorates or foreshadowed, rather, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead the third day, the day after the Sabbath.
than the Feast of Weeks, which is what we are uh, mostly referring to today. Leviticus goes on. It corresponds to Pentecost. Pentecost is a Greek word meaning 50. Leviticus 23.15, all of these uh, citations are in Leviticus 23 and uh, elsewhere. You'll find them in Deuteronomy and elsewhere in in Leviticus as well. But uh, 23.15, you shall count unto you the morrow after the Sabbath, starting on Sunday, what we think of as Sunday, uh, from the day that you brought forth the sheaf of the wave offering. Keep in mind that Jesus rose on that day after the Sabbath. So start counting there. Seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath, ye shall number fifty days, and ye shall offer a, a new uh, offering unto the Lord. That's the Feast of Weeks, because they were to count seven weeks, and in Jewish counting, they counted both the first day and the last day. That adds up to fifty, and uh, actually last, a week ago, Thursday, May 21st, was the fortieth day uh, after Easter, and today we are 10 days later, so the 50th day uh, after Easter. And there's also the third feast, which we're not um, speaking of today, but that's the Feast of the Trumpets. Also uh, noted there in Leviticus uh, 23, where the sounding of trumpets, the blowing of trumpets um, throughout a day uh, signified the beginning of a month that included the Day of Atonement and the Feast of, of Tabernacles. So I say all of this to say that the uh, disciples, well, not just the disciples, uh, Jewish people from all over Israel and beyond, uh, came to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. They were celebrating the Feast of Weeks as prescribed by the Law of Moses. And we see uh, here before the day of Pentecost, that 10-day period, you heard re- read that Jesus uh, spent uh, 40 days with his uh, disciples before his ascension into heaven. And then we have his ascension into heaven, which is covered in the Gospels to some extent. Matthew uh, notes that the 11 disciples went away after uh, Jesus um, had uh, appeared to them during that 40-day period. They went away into Galilee after his resurrection, rather, uh, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. They did not know that they only had a short period of time until Jesus ascended on high. Mark says, after the Lord had given them the Great Commission, Matthew doesn't record the the visual sight of Jesus ascending into heaven. Mark does, to a certain degree, a limited degree, after the Lord had spoken unto them, having given them the Great Commission, which we read of in Matthew, but also in, in Mark, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And that's the extent to which Matthew and Mark cover uh, the ascension. Luke adds more detail. Luke also being the writer of Acts. But in Luke's gospel, he, we see that he, Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. John wrote of some of the events of and the happenings of that 40-day period before Jesus ascended on high, but he did not make reference 
to the actual event itself as far as the ascension. He did say, though, as he discussed that, it almost feels like he ran out of paper in, in today's terms because he said, if, if I were to write everything that should be written, even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. But Acts continues with what he wrote in Luke when he gives us more uh, of the ascension. When he had spoken the things that he had spoken, uh, he, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And that's where, while they were still looking steadfastly toward heaven, uh, two men in white apparel appeared before them and asked them, Why stand ye gazing upward into heaven? This same Jesus shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go up into heaven. So he, uh, those angels spoke of Jesus' return, which we still wait for in our day to day. But uh, Luke also gives them the reminder, which we covered in our text, being assembled, told them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. They should return to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, which they had heard from him before, though when he had said that during his ministry, those things he probably, or they rather, probably did not, uh, obviously did not register all that he was talking about. It was hard for them to uh, take in. And here we have it in hindsight, and we're not saying it's easy for us to, to take it all in either. I'm sure we're missing quite a bit that shall be revealed to us in heaven. But Jesus did give them many, many promises where he said, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And actually, uh, John the Baptist spoke of, of this as well. We, we see that Jesus referred to the fact that that John said that I, or, or rather, he said, Jesus said, John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. But Jesus did not remind them, at least not as far as is recorded, what John actually said before Jesus came on the scene there in Galilee. But John was, was baptized, and then he said, I... Uh, indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Promises abounded to the fact that God would <clears throat> somehow uh, provide uh, a comforter after Jesus ascended up into heaven. And Jesus had, had told them that, in Luke's gospel, as part of the Great Commission, and it was a Great Commission, <clears throat> they were commissioned to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. They were they were told they would appear before governors and rulers and uh, would be challenged for their faith, but not to give thought beforehand as to how they would respond because the uh, Spirit of God, the Comforter, would give them the words to say in the moment as they needed to know what to say. So Jesus, or, or Luke, in Luke's gospel, rather, we have Jesus' promise. Behold, I send the, the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. The, the language translated um, English is still noteworthy. Um, baptized, we see that... I. Uh, John, uh, well, Jesus said, I'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. It conveys the sense of being immersed, being uh, covered. 
uh, being bathed. And we, in our mind's eye, can picture that with regard to water baptism, but that's the metaphor Jesus used to be baptized also with the Holy Ghost, is to be uh, immersed in the Holy Ghost, to be covered, to be clothed is another uh, term, or endued rather, which means to be clothed as with a, a garment. So you're, you'll be endued with the power of the Holy Ghost. And also fire uh, suggests a, a flame of, of energy, uh, of power. You know how powerful a, a fire can be. And oftentimes we think of it in uh, destructive uh, terms, but it can also be very productive. And that's the kind of fire and energy we're talking about here when we're baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. In Acts 1.8, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you. And that was the might and the strength to do things that they were incapable of doing without the uh, facilitation of the Holy Ghost. They could not stand before governors and rulers in their own strength, nor can we accomplish uh, a lot of things in our own strength. Uh, we have a hard enough time with the power of the Holy Ghost aiding us, but God has promised that he will give us power to fulfill the tasks that he assigns us to fulfill. And we, we do know that the Lord gives uh, might and strength. He emboldens. He gives courage. Uh, the Lord is to be glorified through any accomplishment, uh, of course. So then we have the 10-day period. Now, the, the disciples, the apostles knew that the Feast of Weeks was upon them this day of Pentecost would soon soon be so you wonder what what they talked about what what they were thinking they didn't have the advantage of our hindsight to know that Jesus fulfilled all of these um, feasts and all of these uh, ceremonies he was the full fulfillment of them so I'm supposing that they still felt that they needed to do what Moses said to do. And in Deuteronomy, we have a few more details. As they're approaching, remember, this, the beginning of this Feast of Weeks. Here's what they knew that Moses said. Thou shalt keep the Feast of Weeks unto the Lord thy God with a tribute of a free will offering of thine hand. It goes on elsewhere to say that other uh, sacrifices and offerings were prescribed by the law, including those... Uh, uh, with the shedding of blood. But here we, we also have this free will offering that they were to, to bring. So you can picture Peter asking John, we've been occupied, we've been busy. Our, our master, our savior was crucified and now three days he's, he's risen from the dead. And now he's ascended up on high and told us to tarry in Jerusalem until we be endued with this power from on high. Yet Passover is coming. The Feast of Weeks is about to begin. We need to do what Moses prescribed by the law and bring not only the sacrifices that are to be brought, but also a free will offering. What are you going to bring? Well, they, we can't tell. We can only surmise the kinds of conversations that they would have. But they were to bring... We read in Deuteronomy 16, according as the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. 
So they were to come, perhaps with a different spirit of the spirit that they were to approach Passover, which certainly included some rejoicing in that they celebrated their deliverance from Egypt. But here they were to consider the fact as they had 50 days earlier brought the first fruits of the, the harvest in the in that feast but now this uh, feast of weeks they're coming towards uh, later on in the harvest they were to bring as God had had blessed them and thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God thou and thy son and thy daughter and thy maidservant and manservant and everyone in the household is to rejoice in the bounty of, of God's goodness it gives you a sense of the spirit of these uh, apostles and disciples, the followers of Jesus, as they approach the day of Pentecost. Yes, uh, the master has uh, been crucified. No, we, we don't understand all that has transpired over the past uh, three and one half years. And yet Jesus has risen from the dead and he has sat down at the right hand of God. We have every reason to give thanks to God and to approach this day of uh, Pentecost and this Feast of Weeks with a spirit of gratitude and a spirit of praise. And we, we would like to think, and we know, that that is indeed how they approached uh, this day of Pentecost. For we read in Acts 1, uh, 14, that these all continued uh, having named the, the eleven and uh, a few of the women, and told us the number of their group was 120. And they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Luke tells us in Luke's Gospels that they were uh, continually in the temple, bra- uh, praising and blessing God. So were they mourning? Were they despondent? Had they fallen into a state of depression? Oh no, not by any means. There was a challenge ahead of them, and they knew that by the grace of God, he was up to helping them meet that challenge. So he had told them, tarry. So they go, and we, we find them coming to an upper room where they abode, and there it goes on in Acts 13 to name them. In Luke, at the end of that, that gospel, it says that they were continually in the temple. So perhaps they came and went from the temple and, and um, to that upper room, having more liberty. They also, remember, feared for their lives, actually. They were living in a time where it was necessary, in their minds at least, to somewhat sequester, uh, to get away from the, the crowds, lest their uh, destiny be that of Jesus, who was crucified only a short time before. Of course, that ended up indeed being the destiny of nearly every one of them. Not crucifixion necessarily, but martyrdom for sure. So they they spent this time, they worshiped the Lord. They returned to Jerusalem, we read, with great joy after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And now they had an eye toward the beginning of this uh, Feast of Weeks. And as they tarried there in this upper room, I wonder if they thought, perhaps Jesus is going to enter the room, the door is being shut. He'd done that before. I don't know what they thought, but I know they were praying. Jesus had said to tarry, and so they uh, spent their time uh, tarrying. And sure enough, we read in Acts 2, that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. There they were, in a prayer uh, meeting. 
perhaps in that same upper room where they had kept the Lord's Supper with, with Jesus only uh, a few weeks, seven weeks earlier. Either way, they were, they were praying, they were united. Before Jesus was crucified, they had been competitive to a certain degree, wondering who would have the elevated positions when Jesus came into his kingdom. And Jesus explained to them, there'll be no elevated positions. If you want to serve me, you need to be a servant and, uh, and follow me in, the, in that uh, regard. And we read that suddenly, this uh, might, this power burst upon them uh, all at once. Uh, suddenly there came from uh, a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and filled all the house where they were sitting. They were in a prayer meeting. Uh, some of you have been in prayer meetings here and there over the years that stand out above all others where you sense the power of God uh, sweep through a service. That's what happened uh, that day. They, they didn't know what to anticipate. And we cannot manipulate the Spirit of God. We've seen some over the years try to do that, to create an environment. Well, we certainly can create an environment that's conducive to the, uh, to the Lord's Spirit, but we cannot uh, just uh, to command that, that God do what only God can do. And what God can do is what He did that day. He came as a rushing, mighty wind. He filled in the form of the Holy Ghost all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like a, a fire, sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. It drew a crowd. Uh, perhaps uh, some maintain that this upper room was uh, a room uh, somewhere in the temple. Others, uh, a house close by the temple. Well, I'm not so concerned of the geographic or the, the address uh, of the house. I'm more concerned, and we're more concerned about what happened there. They, in that united uh, form that they were in prayer, giving praise and giving honor to God. <clears throat> the Spirit of God uh, descended and uh, bore witness uh, to the fact that he had done just that. Some were uh, perplexed, many were perplexed and confounded. Uh, some marveled, uh, others mocked. They said they, they must be intoxicated the way they are conducting themselves. Well, how were they conducting themselves? They were, they were happy. Uh, some people, when they're intoxicated, I guess they pretend to be happy. They try to be happy, but mostly they're stupid. And they act just that, and they regret it later on. There was no regrets here, no regrets in this prayer meeting, <clears throat> no acting foolish. They weren't being obnoxious. They weren't being embarrassed, embarrassing to themselves or to others. Uh, here, here's what they were doing. We do, them, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. They were giving glory to God in a variety of different languages that they had never been taught, they had never learned, and never spoken before. But due to the crowds that had gathered for this Feast of Weeks and for this day of Pentecost, there were those who came from a variety of places that are listed here in Acts chapter 2, and they all came with different dialects, different languages than one another. And now they hear these Galileans, most of them fishermen, uh, tradesmen, speaking in a language that would have taken academics uh, to have instructed them beforehand, and they wonder what is going on. We hear these people speak and we, in our tongue, and we hear them declaring the wonderful works of God. They were all amazed and were in doubt, saying to one another, 
what meaneth this? There's several questions throughout this uh, chapter. Uh, Are these men not all Galileans? How is it that we hear them speaking in our tongue? What meaneth this? Later on, what shall we do? Well, what meaneth this? Uh, Peter uh, gave a response. And he said, this is that which is spoken of the prophet Joel. And he cited from what we know as the second chapter of Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And uh, more besides that. But Joel looked centuries ahead to where an event such as this would occur. Not no doubt uh, understanding all that what he was uh, prophesying about. But Peter gets up, having familiarity with the law and with the prophets, and says, this is that which Joel was talking about. It has happened. It has come to pass. This is that which Jesus promised. He shall be endued with power from on high. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses. That's why the power fell. Not so they could feel good. Not so they could uh, be in a prayer meeting and leave the prayer meeting and think, boy, I've never been in a prayer meeting quite like that one. No, it's not about that at all. It's about uh, empowering uh, those who are saved, those who are in unity, sanctified, uh, according to as Jesus had prayed in John 17, and now filled with the Holy Ghost that they can go forth and accomplish uh, deeds or, or, or that God could accomplish deeds uh, through them that would have been unimaginable had they made some efforts on their own. Well, Peter, Peter responded, and he, he let them know that if uh, that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. At least 3,000 called upon the name of the Lord that day and were saved and began to follow the Lord. Then uh, Peter told them, uh, furthermore, when they said, what shall we do then? Well, he told them to repent and uh, uh, turn to God, and God would give them the same gift of the Holy Ghost if they uh, embraced the teachings implied of, of, the, of the Word of God. So consecrate yourself, in, in essence, and that is the application for us today. Find your upper room. Consecrate yourself. Find yourself lost in prayer. What kind of prayer? The kind of prayer that they were lost in on the day of Pentecost. A prayer of gratitude. A prayer of thanksgiving. A prayer of giving glory to God. A prayer of nothing left of oneself in the sense that you're lamenting the conditions of life. Why are the conditions that we have are certainly uh, much better than the conditions they have. But they just praise the Lord. Nonetheless, the power of heaven swept through that house, swept, swept through their beings, uh, set them on fire for God, and where they would go forth. And in one place in Acts says, turn the world upside down. Figuratively, obviously. But they created a stir wherever they went. Not because it was them, but because of the message that they took. May God help us to carry that Pentecostal message, the true Pentecostal message, of being really converted, transformed, sanctified entirely, having been consecrated entirely, and then empowered to bear the gospel story throughout the whole world.